William Morrow and Harper Audio present How Not to Get Shot and Other Advice from White People by D.L. Hughley. This is the author. Introduction Tamir Rice, Michael Brown, Philando Castile, and it goes on. In America, a black dude is three times more likely to be killed in encounters with police than a white guy. If you're black, you already know why hashtag this book matters. This might be the most important book you buy this year, you cheap motherfucker. After all, if you get shot, how the fuck are you going to read more books or listen to more audiobooks? You're dead. Now, this shit has been going on so long, I don't know if a book can help, but why the fuck not try? That's why I present to you how not to get shot and other advice from white people. A how-to guide for black people full of advice from white people translated by me, a black guy. Got it? Oh, and pass the book along to white people, too. And if you're Asian or Latino, let me be the first black man to give you some advice. Buy this book now, because once we're gone, you'll be next. But DL, is this a joke? I'm a comedian, but I'm serious. You know how you try to baby-proof your home by putting little things over the outlets and shit? Well, this book is like that. I'm going to try to police shoe-proof black people as much as we can. Will it work? Who knows? I mean, sometimes a kid still sticks his fork in a plug and gets zapped, but it's still worth a try, right? I started thinking about this a little while ago when I was on Megyn Kelly's Fox News show to get lectured about the killing of Philando Castile. Getting told yet again that if a black man had just followed police orders, he wouldn't have ended up shot dead. This was before America decided Kelly wasn't racist anymore and let her move from Fox News Channel to NBC. That time, it was Philando Castile, but it could have been Michael Brown, Tamir Rice, or Keith Scott, or Alton Sterling, or Walter Scott. I had Megyn Kelly telling me that we don't know if Philando Castile threatened a police officer with his gun, presuming yet again the innocence of the police over the innocence of the victim, of course, now we do know what happened. A police officer shot a man for no reason, big surprise, and then they stacked the jury with pro-police white guys, and he got off. Of course! When incidents like these happen, black people hear this over and over. Who knows what happened? And then we get the inevitable advice on how these victims should have acted differently. Comply with police orders. Don't resist arrest. Don't break the law, and you won't get shot. White people are always giving out helpful advice. These motherfuckers been doling out tips to black people ever since I suggest you pick that cotton if you don't like getting whipped. It seemed crazy to me that we keep hearing this shit over and over, but then I had a moment of clarity. What if they were right? What if Megyn Kelly was actually onto something? See, for a little while there, it seemed like white people were on their way out. What with a black president and everything. But now we know that Barack was just the intermission, and it's back to the real show. It's welcome back, niggas. The show must go on. Look, we're in a different place now. If Trump can get elected after everything we know about him, maybe white people know what the fuck they're talking about, right? This is a guy who was heard on tape saying he likes to grab women's pussies, made stupid red hats a fashion item after spreading racist lies that Barack Obama wasn't born in America, buddied up with Vladimir Putin, but he's still our president? We ain't in Kenya anymore. Let's face it, the white man is back. 
How did this happen? I blame Nat Turner. In 1831, that dude had his slave rebellion, scared white people, and basically fucked it up for all black people. This was one of the first times that a black dude did something hundreds of miles away that fucked shit up for everybody. Some black dude's like, motherfucker, I'm just trying to get to work. I ain't rising up. And then he got hung. Ask any old black southerner, they all know the story of slave uprising because it was incredible. Even when black people were slaves, white people were afraid. And that fear was about losing control of black people. Before black-on-black -black crime, before we asked to vote, before Black Lives Matter, we were being shot and hung by the police. Police are basically doing now what they've always done, which is keep niggas in their place. Whether it's removing us from lunch counters or telling us to get back across the line or hanging us for made-up reasons, they've always been the agent of bringing black people to heel. So unarmed black people getting killed isn't new, it's retro. Today, it's unarmed black people getting killed in high def and on camera phones. The technology is new, but the story is old. Used to be you had to wait for some motherfucker to make a drawing. Now we've got the killing on Facebook Live or on a body cam if we're lucky. Have you ever noticed how when something happens that people don't want you to know about, their body cam goes off? But when they do have body cam footage, that ought to settle it, right? Video should be proof, but somehow it isn't. After all, what good is a grand jury looking at a body cam video if they don't have bias-proof glasses? So that's the way I've always seen things, but Megyn Kelly woke me up. See, we've been trying to insist on equal rights, having a voice, police reform, but we forgot that white people are the arbiters of knowing shit. Maybe we should listen to the wisdom they're offering us. And after all, not getting shot by police has always been a problem for black people even when we had a black president. Now that we have a new set of overlords with President Trump at the helm, wouldn't it be nice to get a little advice on how not to get shot and maybe even how to dress and listen to music? So no black person wants to hear another bit of advice from a white person, even if they aren't as full of shit as Megyn Kelly or Donald Trump. They're so fucking tired of it all. I get it. But maybe I, D.L. Hughley, can help bridge this divide. Maybe I can take on the mantle of this bird. Maybe I can police shoot proof a few black people by listening to the arbiters of knowing shit. That's why I've decided to compile the best pieces of advice together in one book. How Not to Get Shot and Other Advice from White People. The etiquette guide that black people didn't know they needed until white America doubled down on white power. How to use this book. Note, if you're in immediate danger of being shot by police, put down this book and keep your hands where the police can see them. You're not Luke Cage, and this book isn't made of titanium, and it won't make you bulletproof. Cops don't usually shoot people holding books, but they will shoot you if you're holding a phone. You never know what might look like a gun. Okay, so you're tired of getting advice from white people about what to do and how to act. It feels like you can't turn on the TV or read a newspaper without some white guy telling you how to live your life and how to be. I know. But what if I told you that following the advice of white people could make you happier, healthier, and a little less threatening to white people? Wouldn't you like to know why white people are the way they are? Wouldn't it be good to know why they're being such dicks all the time? No? Okay, well, wouldn't you at least like to make fun of them for a bit? Okay, then great. Keep listening. How to use this book. You know how to use books, so I don't want to over-explain it, 
the book is divided into five sections. One, how to not get shot by the police. Two, how to look. Three, how to act. Four, understanding white people. Five, tidbits of advice for white people from black people. In each section, I'll present a quote from the most prominent purveyors of white culture to get the best advice possible. Everything from Bill O'Reilly's guidance on how to name your kids to Mark Furman's instruction on speaking politely. Then, I'll translate this advice into practical tips to improve your black experience by making it whiter. Each section will feature specific bits of helpful advice, such as how to be nice and quiet, and how to wear your hair, along with charts and graphics to keep you from getting too bored. Now, you won't see them, but trust me, they're there. White people advice through the ages, a history. White people have been given advice for as long as anyone can remember they're being white people. Before that, it was probably hairy people receiving advice on how not to get speared by less hairy people. They probably had an all Neanderthals matter crowd back then, too. That's actually not a joke. Scientists now believe that early European humans were responsible for killing off their bigger brain Neanderthal cousins 40,000 years ago. This shit is in white people's DNA. If Neanderthals had this book, maybe they'd be around today. But here we are in the 21st century. We find ourselves at a unique point in history where black people shouldn't have to listen to white people. And yet white people still have lots of advice to give. Let's look at white people advice through the ages. 1619 through 1865. Slavery. Now, the advice is a bit more mandatory. 1896 to 1965. Jim Crow. Now, a lot of helpful white people advice starts with boy, as in boy, you better not look at me that way. Not boy, I'd like to buy black people ice cream. Other white people advice, where to sit, what water fountain to drink from, what part of the country to flee from. 1970s, why can't you be more like Roots? 1980s, why can't you be more like that nice boy Michael Jackson? <laughs> 1990s, if Rodney King had just complied with police orders. <laughs> 2000s, white people discover another bunch of scary colored people, Muslims. The heat is off. Obama era, la 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 la. I don't have to listen to you anymore. Fuck you, white people. Trump era, oh shit, my bad. What was that, white people? Sidebars. Throughout the printed book, you'll find eight or so sidebars that will help make the process of learning easier. Now, you can't see them, but I'll tell you what they are. I might even add more later. I haven't decided. Don't pressure me. It's the beginning of the book. Wise words. These are quotes from all sorts of people that will guide and inspire you. D.L. Locke. Sometimes I'm just going to feel like saying something in my own words. That's when I'll give you a DL log. Now, I know that's a fucked up sounding term, but it's my book, so I'll say what I want. When you write your book, you can call it whatever the fuck you want. Tip. Just like the tip white tourists leave when they visit Harlem, these tips are all a bit patronizing. Remember. Remember is just a tip by another name, but I got to fill this book somehow. Anecdote. Not to be confused with remember, an anecdote is a short personal story that I'm remembering. Did you know these are short bits of statistic or other real hints of information? Let's meet.
Enjoy these short profiles of notable white people and their inspiring life stories. Stuff white people say. Here we'll listen to what some white people say, even if we don't want to. Anecdote. The first time I got advice from white people. My earliest memory of receiving advice from white people was from teachers commenting on my schoolwork. They wanted to talk about how I wasn't applying myself, not that I just didn't get it. I don't know if I wasn't trying or if I, in fact, just couldn't. Nobody knew I had a learning disability that they hadn't diagnosed. They thought it was that I just didn't apply myself. I wasn't trying. Not that much has changed for black kids in school. But that's the first time I remember getting advice from white people. They seem to have all the answers. They always knew what to do. You have to understand, I grew up on 135th and Avalon in South Central Los Angeles, so the only white people in my neighborhood were the policemen, the teachers, and the insurance man. Those were the only whites around. The insurance men were there because in my neighborhood, all deaths were sad, but not all deaths were shocking. So some mothers and fathers saved a college fund for their kid, and some just bought extra insurance. Because if this motherfucker's gonna get killed in the streets, I'm gonna get me a new car. So as a kid, the only white folks I knew seemed to have all the answers. They were in charge of teaching, security, and making sure people got a payout if the whole thing went wrong. Part 1. How to not get shot by the police. In this part, we're going to get right into it and make sure you know how to not get shot by the police. First of all, we're going to figure out the right way to talk to the police so they feel more empowered to not shoot you. Then we'll take a look at how to put cops at ease, since being a cop can be very scary, especially when you're dealing with very scary black people. And if you do get shot, let's not rush to judgment. Sure, being shot can be upsetting, but we don't want to paint all cops with the same brush. After all, they've been through a traumatic experience. Are you ready to not get shot? Let's go. Chapter 1. Comply with police orders. Here's the bottom line. If you don't want to get shot, tased, pepper sprayed, struck with a baton, or thrown on the ground, just do what I tell you. Sunil Dutta, LAPD officer and adjunct instructor of Homeland Security at Colorado Technical University. Comply with police orders. That's the first thing you'll hear from white people. If you don't want to get shot, just comply. If a black person gets shot by the police, white people ask, why didn't they just do what the police officer said? White people can't understand it. It seems so simple. Is it that simple? I wish it was. Let's make sure you're complying the right way. Comply with the spirit of the order. Just do what the cop says, but also make sure you're complying with the spirit of the request. A police officer wants you to comply with both their command and the way they want it done. Let's take Philando Castile. Philando Castile was shot when he reached for his wallet. Officer Geronimo Yanez asked him for his license and registration, and then he got shot. Why? Because he didn't comply with the spirit of the request. Put yourself in Officer Yanez's shoes. He pulls over a random black guy because he's seeking a robbery suspect. Officer Yanez spots Philando's wide-set nose that matches the description of a robbery suspect. Did the suspect also have a girlfriend and a child in his car? Well, robberies are weird. You never know if that baby in the back is a tiny gangster dressed up as a baby or something. 
Officer Yanez smelled marijuana. What kind of monster smokes marijuana in front of their kid? Now, bear in mind, this is not Colorado, where marijuana is legal, or California, or Alaska, Maine, Massachusetts, Nevada, Oregon, and Washington. In Minnesota, weed is still a very dangerous drug. So he's obviously scared. He's got a dangerous robbery suspect high on marijuana with his robber girlfriend and robber baby. He asked for Philando's license and registration. Did Philando comply? Yes and no. He did comply by reaching for his wallet, but then Philando tells the officer that he has a gun. We know that Philando mentioned this so the officer would be aware of it and not be scared. But it does the opposite. It scares him. He freaks out. Officer Yanez doesn't know why this dangerous criminal is announcing he has a gun. And even though Philando Castile is reaching for his license, as he was asked to do, Officer Yanez assumes he's reaching for his gun and shoots him. So no, he didn't comply. He complied with the order, but not the spirit of the order. The spirit of the order was to get his license while not being so dangerous. What would have made Philando less dangerous? Maybe. Philando shouldn't have had a gun at all. Philando assumed that he was allowed to have a gun, but he didn't see that he couldn't comply with the spirit of the order while exercising his Second Amendment rights. Or maybe if he had, he shouldn't have told the police and just waited to be thrown on the ground when they discovered it and hoped not to be shot then. Or maybe he should have had it sitting on his dashboard so it would be clear that when he reached for his wallet, he wasn't reaching for his gun. Maybe none of that would have helped. After all, according to a report in the Washington Post, blacks are the most likely to be shot by the police. The most likely. And that's irrespective of social economic background. So it's not just poor black people at risk. It's rich black folks, too. In other words, rich black people still get shot at a disproportionately high rate. So you can't get away from the mitigating factor being race. It's nice to be rich, but you can't buy your way out of being black. Let's just face it, black people. We're a very targety-looking group. We look suitable. By being black, you're not complying with the spirit of the order, which is, get in your place, nigga. Comply with police orders fast. Be sure to comply with police orders quickly. An officer might decide that you're moving too slow and that shooting you is a better option. Once an officer asks you to do something, there's a timer ticking. You don't have forever to comply. A lot of times, you have almost no time at all. The cops roll up and start firing almost as soon as they arrive, like with Tamir Rice or John Crawford. Comply with police orders slowly. But then again, some people get shot for moving too fast. In South Carolina in 2014, LeVar Jones was asked for his license, and he quickly went to get it from his truck. He moved so quick, the state trooper shot him for lunging into his vehicle. Jones said, why did you shoot me? The cop said, well, you dove headfirst back into your car. So that argues for moving slowly. No lunging, no diving headfirst. But don't move too slowly, or it might seem like you're being menacing. What if I don't understand how to comply? The fastest way to get shot by police in America is by being mentally or emotionally unstable. According to a report by the Rudderman Family Foundation, almost half of the people shot by police have some kind of disability. They are mentally or physically or emotionally handicapped. And the police are most often the first responders to mental health situations. So even if they are issuing commands, there needs to be training so police don't just shoot people for noncompliance. 
How's a mentally ill person supposed to comply with police orders? In multiple instances, when police were informed that a person was mentally ill, they still shot the person instead of using less deadly force. Schizophrenics, people off their meds, and people with brain injuries are all treated as if they can comply. Like Laquan McDonald, who was shot by police even though he was surrounded by police who were in no danger. Meanwhile, he suffered from PTSD and other mental disorders. Or take Keith Scott, whose wife took a video of the police confronting her husband. On the video, she's trying to get the police to understand that he had a traumatic brain injury, that he was disabled. But even though he was complying with their orders to back up, he may not have fully understood what was being asked of him. Rather than treat the situation with patience and care, the officers shot him. So even if you don't understand how to comply because of a disability, you better hope that you're not not understanding how to comply in one of those 34 states that don't mandate de-escalation training. If you're lucky, you'll be in Dallas, where excessive force complaints dropped by 18% the year after they put the training into effect. That's maybe the only reason you'd be lucky to be in Dallas. What if I'm a kid? Well, when I was a kid, I learned compliance from my mom. My mother would always tell me the rules before we left the house to go get groceries. Don't look at shit, don't touch shit, and you ain't getting shit. And sometimes I even listen to her. But with the police, being a kid does not exempt you from complying. If you're Tamir Rice playing with a toy gun in the park, your compliance is requested even if you're doing nothing wrong. It's hard to get kids to follow directions in normal circumstances, but if the police are giving orders to a kid, the kid better pay a lot more attention to the police than I did to my mama. With the police, a child has to act more responsibly than a trained professional, especially if the trained professional isn't really trained or professional. The cop who shot and killed Tamir Rice had resigned from his previous job in the Independence Police Department because he was about to be fired. Why? because he couldn't follow basic functions as instructed, according to his old boss, the deputy police chief. That didn't stop Cleveland from hiring him, though. This officer shot Tamir almost immediately. Maybe yelled something from within the car, or perhaps not. It depends on whether you believe the officer's video statement he gave to the police right after the shooting, or whether you believe his written testimony later. Or maybe you trust the surveillance video that showed him practically leap out of the car and start shooting. One of those three is bound to be right. Tamir is supposed to comply with police orders within two seconds of a police car screeching to a halt in front of him. See, when a police officer can't comply, he gets hired. When a kid can't comply, he gets shot. Being a kid is tough. What if I don't have time to comply? In Tamir's case, it's hard to see how he could have complied with police orders, even if he'd heard any. Sometimes the police just roll up and start firing. Take John Crawford in Dayton, Ohio. He was in a Walmart carrying around a BB gun that he intended to buy talking on his phone. The cops came in and shot him before he was able to do anything. Sometimes you don't have time to comply, so you have to pre-comply. You have to think about what kind of threat you would be if you become one. Pre-complying means knowing that you aren't allowed to hold a BB gun in a Walmart. Toy guns are big pre-compliance no-no. It's too bad you don't see more black magicians. Because to avoid being shot, you got to be a mind reader. Pre-comply at all times if possible. Pre-compliance means anticipating compliance and being available to comply at any moment. Compliance request, drop the gun. How to be pre-compliant, don't have a gun, 
a toy gun, a wallet, a dark thing. Compliance request, hands in the air. How to be pre-compliant, have your hands free, not in your pocket, not holding something. Compliance request, don't move. How to be pre-compliant, minimize movement. If already moving, be able to stop quickly, don't be fast. Compliance request, get on the ground. How to be pre-compliant, stay close to the ground, don't be tall, wear stuff you could get dirty. So if John Crawford had pre-complied, he wouldn't have been holding a toy gun that he was going to buy while casually talking to his girlfriend on the phone in an open carry state. If John Crawford had pre-complied, he might still be alive today. What if I am white? If you're white, comply at your own leisure. In Kalamazoo, Michigan, an old white dude with a rifle was standing around yelling at people in cars in front of a Dairy Queen. Multiple 911 calls later, a bunch of cops rolled up and he mouthed off to them and didn't comply with their orders. He wouldn't put his weapon down, so of course, they fucking shot the dude. Oh wait, did I say the cops shot the dude? I meant they didn't shoot the dude. You know a white guy with a real rifle shouting about revolution can tell a cop that he's acting like a prick and not get dropped. He wasn't even charged because Michigan is an open carry state. But DL, I thought you said that John Crawford was in an open carry state and he got shot. How come this old white dude didn't get shot? It's simple. Because a nigga with a play gun is more dangerous than a raging white dude with a real gun. So if you're white, take your time complaining. Open carry all you want. Old white guys are still in charge. If you're black, stay pre-compliant so you won't look targety. Summary. Like white people say, it's easy to not get shot if you just comply with police orders. So whatever you do, obey. Comply with orders, even if they contradict each other or are shouted at you subtly from behind a drawn gun. Comply with them if they're unreasonable, demeaning, or weird. In fact, it would be best to be clairvoyant so you can comply with orders before the cop has even thought of what he wants you to do. Complying is the only way to ensure that you're not as targety. If you're not sure how to comply, be sure to comply with what you think the cop meant. Comply quickly, but not too quickly. Comply slowly, but not too slowly. Play guns are for white people. Complying is simple when you follow these simple rules. Chapter 2. Don't Talk Back From the time that he pulled the car over, he was very personable. He was calm. He was polite. He called her ma'am several times, and he could sense that she was irritated, and he asked her. She was loaded for bear from the time she was pulled over. I expect in those situations an officer to make a reasonable attempt to de-escalate a situation, but not to put him or her in harm's way while doing it. So once that fails, I expect an officer to go into arrest mode. And that's what he did. Once you go into arrest mode, you get to move up on the force continuum. It's no longer verbal commands. You can use intermediate weapons. He chose a taser. Sheriff David Clark. It's just a good policy. Even if you know the cop is in the wrong, comply and complain later. Megan Kelly, The Kelly Files, July 23, 2016. There are many reasons people get shot by the police. Being black, being in the wrong place at the wrong time, etc. And you can't control all of them, but you can control how you talk to the police. 
You may not be looking forward to talking to the police. And guess what? They may not be looking forward to talking to you either. What should you say? How can you relate to them and get out of the conversation? You have so little in common. They're a person with a gun in an organization with a history of racial bias and white supremacy, and you're a black person. There's a word for that. Awkward. Here we have Megyn Kelly and Sheriff David Clark talking about the stopping of Sandra Bland, which eventually ended in her being arrested and her alleged suicide in jail. This traffic stop is a case study in how white people view speaking with the police. And we're lucky to have one of the most prominent Trump-era white journalists, Megyn Kelly, recently elevated from Fox News to NBC, and her guest, Sheriff David Clark, a strict law and order favorite black person that Trump tried to appoint to the Department of Homeland Security before everybody freaked out. Here, a white expert and her lackey are contrasting the police officer's politeness with Sandra Bland's irritation. As described by Sheriff Clark, the police officer acts just the way you want a police officer to act. Personable, calm, and polite. He called her ma'am several times. Very nice. Of course, a little later he was threatening to light her up, but at least in this part of that conversation, he was the perfect gentleman. Sandra Bland was smoking a cigarette and seemed irritated, which is understandable because she probably didn't think she should have been pulled over. When the officer asked her to put out her cigarette, she asked why she had to. Now, I'm going to assume Sandra did seem irritated. Of course, it's impossible to tell what her demeanor was from the dashboard cam of Offrensenia's police car, and his testimony is suspect. He was indicted on perjury charges, which later were dismissed. Can you spot the faux pas in Sandra Bland's approach? In the face of a polite officer merely pulling over a black woman for an illegal lane change, Sandra Bland was rude. She was loaded for bear. Never mind that an illegal lane change is a bullshit excuse to pull over someone. Any white person will tell you that being rude is not the right approach. Megyn Kelly says it well. It's just good policy, even if you know the cop is in the wrong. Comply and complain later. Small talk with police. In a way, talking to the police is just a little bit of involuntary small talk. It's one of those things that white people excel at. Chit-chat but with, you know, slightly higher stakes. I couldn't get Miss Manners on the phone, but that's fine. That's why I have the internet. I did a quick Google search on how to make small talk to get some pointers for us. This shit looks as good or better than even if I laid out money for an expert. Here's eight tips. Number one, look approachable and friendly. At a party, you might hope that someone wants to talk to you, so you want to seem friendly and approachable. Here, the cop is approaching you whether or not you seem approachable. It's not exactly the same, but try to be friendly. When you've been hassled by cops a bunch of times, you might not feel very friendly, but think about what happens to unfriendly black people. Number two, seem open non-verbally before you start talking. Not in a way that says I'm drunk or too high to talk, and not in a non-verbal way that makes it seem like you might not speak English, or that might make them think that you're a Mexican and should be kicked out of the country. Non-verbal in a I-don't-want-to-waste-your-time way. Non-verbal in an I'm-innocent way. Don't seem like you don't want to talk. You do. Try to seem relaxed and happy to eventually start talking. Seeming irritated and knowing your rights can come across as not very open. Number three, open with a small interaction. Open with a small interaction, huh? 
Well, at a cocktail party, you may say something like, man, this bar is slammed tonight. But that'd probably be the wrong thing to say to a cop. In a way, rolling down your window is already a small interaction. Yeah, give yourself credit for this one. Good job. Number four, introduce yourself. Showing your license and registration may not be the way you'd like to introduce yourself, but you probably have to. That's usually introduction enough. Number five, ask open-ended questions. Okay, this isn't really applicable. Not everything from the Internet's going to work. Number six, ask the person to explain something to you, like, what the fuck am I being pulled over for? Okay, actually, skip this one too. Number seven, don't be afraid to disagree. Skip this. Number eight, stick to safe topics, like ending the conversation as soon as possible. Okay, that is probably enough free advice from the web. You get what you pay for. Next time, I'll spring for an expert. At a party, you might end up getting someone's number. But if you mess up this bit of small talk with a cop, your number may be up. Be polite. Maybe talking to the police is less fun than chit-chat at your office party. Maybe it's not really small talk, but that doesn't mean you can't be polite. That's one thing white people definitely like to point out. Just be polite to cops. Of course, there are exceptions to this rule. You remember when tennis star James Blake got manhandled in New York during the U.S. Open? He didn't have time to be polite because he was getting his ass thrown to the ground. He was standing outside his hotel in midtown Manhattan when a cop ran up out of nowhere and tackled and cuffed him. As the former fourth-rate tennis player in the world, he probably would have been polite. Tennis is a very traditional sport. It's steeped in tradition. When you have to wear white tennis shorts all the time, you tend to be polite. And he probably would have been, had it not been for the fact that he had a cop's boot in his ass. So, there are times when you can't be polite. Don't be sassy. Talking to the police is not the time you demonstrate your wit. For some reason, Cops find sass in the smallest of places. They are expecting some sassy back talk, and they do not like it. Talking to cops is a good time to practice your best manners. Maybe you've been provoked. There have been a couple of times that a cop's been caught on camera saying stuff that wasn't very polite. Maybe more than a couple of times. Cops sure like to talk a lot of shit, but when you talk back to them, they act shocked, especially if they hear profanity. Sassy, meat-headed cops with an attitude, that's what we've come to expect. But that's why you have to be extra sweet. Maybe some of you can throw in a honey or a sugar instead of a sir and pull it off. It's never worked for me. I've been known to say shit that gets me in trouble. So if you're like me, you need a little help to not let your mouth get you in trouble. If you tend to be the type of person who likes a snappy comeback, allow me to translate some of your witticism into cop-appropriate responses. Cop. Do you know why I pulled you over? Bad response? Yes, I do know because I can read your mind. Let me look into my fucking crystal ball. Hmm, looks like you pulled me over because you don't like black people. Good response? No, officer. Cop, where were you going in such a hurry? Bad response? On my way to fuck your mama and then my drug dealer's house, you racist piece of shit. Good response? I'm sorry, officer. Cop, you were going over the speed limit. Bad response, fuck you. Good response, I'm mortified and very sorry, sir. Cop, I'm going to let you off with just a warning. Bad response, you know what? They never just let you off with just a warning. Fuck it. Say, sir. 
Be sure to call a police officer, sir. A carefully placed sir can work wonders for a white officer's attitude. For a white person, there's something about being called sir that whisks them back to a more genteel time. I don't know. There's just something about it that makes them feel nostalgic. It puts white people at ease, like sipping an iced tea on a porch in summertime. One can almost hear the old train whistle blowing, bringing the boys back home. It's like watching Gone with the Wind. It makes them lament the good old days, back when America was great and they could fill their lungs with the sweet summer air while the June bugs sang a piece. Back then, white people didn't suffer from white privilege, already taking the task for acknowledging their promise in the world. They were giants allowed to reign and make the world their own by their own benevolence. And hearing, sir, means that you get it. You get it. It means that you've been trained well and that they're back in charge or that them being in charge is acknowledged, maybe even preferred. Summary. When you're talking to cops, try not to be rude. Even if the cop is less than a gentleman, you don't want to give him or her an excuse to get mad with you or worse. Like Sheriff Clark said, even though you might think you're in a conversation, you might actually be getting verbal commands. After that, they can move up the force continuum. Once you move up the force continuum, talking's over, maybe permanently. Remember, don't be rude. Be approachable and friendly. Even if you know the cop is in the wrong, comply and complain later. Let's make sure there's a later. Talking to cops is just like highly dangerous chit-chat, except instead of finding out if it's raining later, you might be finding out that you're dead. Chapter 3. Don't Break the Law the best part of reading white people advice on the internet is seeing how it's all laid out so simply. The simplicity of this piece of advice is its key. Don't break the law and you won't get shot. When black people can't seem to follow this simple advice that has worked for them, white people are just incredulous. They're frustrated. It's so simple. Don't break the law and you won't have a problem. If only black people could follow simple directions. The implication is that if you weren't guilty, you wouldn't get shot. Sure, the death penalty is supposed to be for those tried and convicted of heinous, premeditated capital murder, but let's not get bogged down in details. This conveniently omits all the people who were doing nothing wrong, who broke no laws, and still got shot. Just a small sampling. Number one, John Crawford shot while holding a toy BB gun in a Walmart. Number two, Akai Gurley shot while walking in his own apartment building stairwell. Number three, Tamir Rice, a child shot while playing outside in the park. So clearly, not everyone who gets shot is breaking the law. But if you are breaking the law, does that mean you should get shot? I guess it depends on which law you're breaking. Police apologists will cite the most extreme examples of this. People pointing guns at cops. Now, mind you, many of these cases are ones in which the only evidence of the gun being pointed at a cop is the cop's testimony that it happened. But many police shootings don't happen after guns are pointed. Let's look at some laws that people broke that got them shot. Number one, a broken taillight. Philando Castile got shot after he got pulled over for a broken taillight. Number two, missing front plate. Samuel DuBose got shot after being pulled over for a missing front plate. Number three, not wearing a seatbelt. LeVar Jones got shot after being pulled over for not buckling up. Number four, resisting arrest. Resisting arrest is like irritable bowel syndrome. 
Irritable bowel syndrome is this catch-all for when your butt hurts. Maybe you should stop eating neon junk food, or maybe it's some kind of problem with the bacteria in your gut. Nobody knows, but everybody knows your butt hurts. It's the same with resisting arrest. No one likes getting arrested, so everyone's going to resist it somewhat. The police have wide latitude to decide if you're resisting arrest. It's whatever they say it is. So clearly, breaking some of these laws shouldn't be a capital offense. But given that almost any breaking of the law can be a capital offense for black people, I'm going to have to reiterate white advice on this one. Don't break the law. Don't break any law. And I mean any law. Not speeding, not having a broken taillight, not even the law of attraction. As a matter of fact, stay away from anything with law in it. Whatever has law in it, don't break it. The laws of nature, the laws of gravity. You ever seen a black astronaut? Not many, because trust me, if it has law in it, it will just fuck you up. Don't reach for a weapon. The term unarmed black man is literally accurate, but it doesn't tell the whole story in most cases. In a number of cases, if the victim ended up unarmed, it was certainly not for a lack of trying. Tommy Lauren. It's common sense that you pull a gun on a cop, they will shoot you. That's not that hard to anticipate. Assuming you're not some kind of violent criminal, why do people still do this? Well, some of the people who were killed reaching for their guns didn't know they were reaching for their guns. Some people reaching for their guns were getting their wallets out or scratching an itch or who knows what. They didn't mean to reach for their gun. They didn't even have a gun. But cops don't know that and are often looking for guns where there aren't any. To a cop, anything might be a gun. Guns. Your wallet. Your license and registration. Your phone. That book you were reading. A candy bar. Anything that feels gum-like in the dark when you're biased. Don't reach. So what to do if you're asked to reach for something? Don't. Don't reach. Declare yourself not it. Let the cop do the reaching. Even white girls know better nowadays. In Georgia, this cop pulled over these two girls. One was drunk. He was going to take the other one to jail, so he says, reach for your phone. You can use your phone to call somebody, but she wouldn't do it. She said she didn't want to reach for her cell phone because she's seen way too many videos of people getting shot by cops. You know this shit's bad when a white woman is scared of the police. Now, either she's really woke or she just fucked a lot of black guys. Jamal told me this is how you're supposed to act around cops. Anyway, the cop joke, but you're not black. Remember, we only kill black people. Yeah, we only kill black people, right? That cop was essentially forced to retire for telling a sarcastic joke, even though he was telling the truth. Isn't it ironic you basically get fired for joking about shooting a black man, but shooting a black man? Well, that's different. But this girl had the right idea. Be careful what you reach for. The problem with pockets. The trouble is, anywhere you might keep a gun is also a place you might keep a wallet or a license. Pockets are convenient, but a safety hazard. Stop wearing stuff for pockets. Do you really need all that pocket change if you're dead? Safe bags. So no pockets. If you're a man, maybe now's the time to buy one of those man purses so you don't have pockets to dip into. A purse might save your life. If you're a woman, maybe it's time to get yourself a tiny purse, a clutch, or something that doesn't seem as easy to pack heat in. You know what I just realized? Bags are another problem. 
Guns can easily be stored in a backpack or a bag. Hell, movies always show some lady pulling a gun out of her purse. I don't remember a gun being pulled out of a purse, but times are changing. Better yet, maybe don't carry anything. You're probably better off not carrying anything. License and registration, please. Sorry, officer, but I don't carry that shit because I don't like reaching for things and getting shot. Don't reach for a weapon either. But let's say you're holding something or reaching for something that's definitely not a weapon. It's not a gun. It's not a knife. It's not a crossbow. It's not a weapon. Be careful. That might be a weapon. A weapon is in the eye of the beholder. Think about some of the shit that people get fucked up with in some of those kick-ass kung fu movies. Lunch trades, jump ropes, hot soup dumplings. Anything can be a weapon. Or think about James Bond. That guy has pins that shoots lasers and walking canes that are both an umbrella and a sword. That guy's bow tie is a ninja star. So cops are rightfully concerned that anything can be weaponized. Better not to hold on to things. Holding things can be hazardous to your health. You don't have a gun yet. And of course, if you get shot and killed, you might come to find out that you did have a gun. Once the police investigate what happened, it might be that they find a gun. It's incredible how often a gun is found after an investigation when previously there wasn't any gun. In St. Louis, Officer Jason Stockley was acquitted of shooting Anthony Lamar Smith in 2011 after he said, We're killing this motherfucker. Even though the judge let him off, the prosecution alleged that he put a gun in the car. A different cop on the scene said that he didn't see a gun, and somehow this gun appeared after Stockley went back and forth to his car. Never mind that the gun didn't have any of Smith's DNA on it. It only has Stockley's DNA. The judge ruled that it wasn't plausible to believe that a dope dealer wouldn't have a gun. So it's not plausible to believe there's no way a dope dealer wouldn't have a gun? This comes as a big surprise to pharmacists. Watch out, CVS! There are many, many cases where cops planted gums after the fact to justify a shooting, so even death won't prevent you from getting shot for carrying a gun. Summary. Don't reach for a weapon or for anything. Don't reach for your license. Don't reach for the stars, your dreams, whatever. Stay away from it. Just remember, anything can be a gun. Don't carry anything. Don't carry anything that can carry anything. Anything can be a weapon. Even if you follow these rules, you might have a gun. So it's important to be vigilant even in death. Don't even carry a gun posthumously. Stuff white people say. Law and order fan number one, black on black crime. But DL, what about black on black crime? Weirdly, black on black crime is a reason a lot of white people are scared of black people. Why are white people worried about black on black crime? Did you hear white in that sentence? It doesn't make sense. Except that if you keep hearing about black on black crime, it gives you an excuse to fear black people. Society pairs back to you that black people are inherently to be feared. After a police shooting, people say, well, it was a high crime area. They mean that this dude got shot because all the black people there must be dangerous. People like to point out a report that says 90% of black people who are murdered are murdered by other black people. But the same report also says that 83% of white people who are murdered are murdered by white people. Turns out that most people are murdered by people they know. Turns out there's no point in worrying about black-on-black -black crime, just like nobody's worried about white-on-white -white crime. Crime is crime.
to me, the idea of black-on-black crime is more dangerous to black people than the word nigga ever was. Because it's a call to arms that basically says that we have this urgent situation. Black people are killing black people, and we have to do something about it before anything else. It's used as a tool for inaction and to discredit Black Lives Matter. As if Black Lives Matter is ignoring a problem that needs to be solved before we can even talk about police violence. You even have black people like Ray Lewis and Fox Sports' Jason Whitlock towing this line. Just because one bad thing is happening, that doesn't mean you shouldn't try to solve another. Fox News is just using it as an excuse not to deal with police violence. It's a way to paint all black people as violent as if they deserve violence. It's like if a bank got robbed all the time, right? The police can't pull up and start pulling money from that bank just because they got robbed all the time. When the police break up a sex trafficking ring, you can't go, hey, this girl got fucked a lot, so let's fuck her again. They can't do that, but that makes sense when it's black people. These niggas are used to it. Police violence against black people is okay because black people are already victims of violence? During the campaign, Trump kept talking about Chicago and how he's going to bring in the National Guard if they couldn't solve their own crime problem. Okay, so obviously Chicago is a very violent city, but it's also one of the cities with the highest unemployment rates for black men in the country. 14.2% in 2016, according to the Economic Policy Institute, compared with 8.4% nationwide. The notion that you would tell people to put their guns down when they don't have any opportunity or a job is absurd. Black-on-black crime is more about proximity than about any other kind of particular moral failure. It's about poor people with limited resources who can't access education and jobs. And when you add in liquor stores and drugs and guns, it's not really that difficult to ascertain what the outcome of that would be. Broke people kill broke people. People with no hope, with only despair, they kill a lot of people. So Chicago is just a cold word. They didn't say a fucking thing about Chicago when Laquan McDonald was shot by the police in 2014 and the police stonewalled the investigation for months. Why didn't they want anyone to see the tapes? Because they shot a dude with a knife for no reason. That's why. Eight fucking cops and they can't disarm a guy with a knife in the middle of the highway? And when the police officer is frightened of a black guy, it means they are scared whether they had an experience with that black person or not. They can't differentiate between a good guy and a bad guy. They're scared of all black people because of something they saw on a TV screen about a shooting a thousand miles away. That, to me, is classic racism. So let's face it. White people don't care about violent crime in Chicago. They love violent crime in Chicago. They love it because it's their favorite boogeyman, black-on-black crime. Chapter 4. You have to understand cops are scared. I fired my gun at Mr. Crutcher because I was fearing for my life. Officer Betty Jo Shelby testifying why she shot Terrence Crutcher. In this and so many other cases, an innocent black man gets shot because the cop is frightened. They have a scary job. They're put in a lot of weird situations and often have to deal with angry people. It's not all giving old ladies directions or busting people for going 50 in the 45 zone. Being a cop can be dangerous, but it's not always dangerous, even the cops who aren't white supremacists can misinterpret the threat at hand. And some are like Barney Fife, small men in big uniforms. Some have a serious case of the yips and are just one scary moment away from shooting someone. Juries are buying this narrative too. Betty Jo Shelby was let off for killing Terrence Crutcher because she was scared. Officer Geronimo Yanez was let off the hook for killing Philando Castile because he was scared. 
Officer Timothy Loman was let off the hook for killing Tamir Rice because he was scared. When you talk to white people, being scared is more than enough to excuse a cop for shooting someone. Sure, they got a gun, a dog, and a helicopter. So if they're afraid, I bet you're fucking afraid too. But now isn't the time to worry about you being scared. I'm trying to get you not shot. What's scary about black people? White people have always been scared of black people. And when a black person gets shot, there's usually a sense from the commentary of white people that because the cop was scared, they deserved it. It doesn't have to be something the victim specifically did to make them afraid at the time because you have to understand there's a historical fear. And so history lets the cop act with a heightened sense of danger when it comes to policing black people. Number one, black people live in bad neighborhoods. Cops are scared because they're dealing with people in bad neighborhoods. This is one of the right's favorite dog whistles, emphasize black-on-black crime. So, because of the racist housing policy that has segregated people of color into bad neighborhoods, anyone who lives in that neighborhood is bad and dangerous. Number two, black people are strong. Take a look at how Officer Darren Wilson described Michael Brown in his grand jury testimony. When I grabbed him, the only way I can describe it is I felt like a five-year-old holding on to Hulk Hogan. Hulk Hogan, that's how big he felt and how small I felt just from grasping his arm. This fear of black people's strength goes back to at least the bad old days of slavery. During the height of the lynching era, news stories were full of black brutes terrorizing white people. In the 1980s and 90s, there were stories of super predators hopped up on crack and angel dust. Recently, there was even a paper where researchers showed that white patients were more likely to receive painkillers than black patients, even doctors demonstrate unconscious bias and entrenched ideas about biological differences between the races. Another study found that whites thought blacks were more likely to have superhuman abilities like enhanced strength and endurance. I'm serious. I blame Marvel Comics. Look at all the black superheroes, Black Panther. The Black Panther's strong as fuck. Who does that help? And Luke Cage? Luke Cage is bulletproof. Marvel Comic and Netflix are going to get a lot of people killed. Nobody wants a bulletproof nigga. Even niggas don't want a bulletproof nigga. When I shoot a nigga, I want him to lay down. I don't want him to stand. I don't want white people to see Luke Cage and go, see, I knew these niggas wouldn't be stopped with just one bullet. It's like the walking dead. You got to shoot him in the head. Super strength, being bulletproof, that's all fine for white superheroes. But black superheroes, fuck jumping over a building or being faster than a speeding bullet. Luke Cage can keep his big bike chain or whatever the hell. The superpower that black people need is the ability to have white people believe them. That's what I want. The ability to have white people go, that nigga's telling the truth. Hey, that's a good idea. Hey, Marvel, Netflix, give me a call. Number three, black people are different. A lot of white people find black people unfamiliar and make assumptions based on stereotypes. The fact that with no evidence so many people question if Obama was born in this country goes to show how white people find black people different and not one of us. When people refer to real Americans and so-called middle America, they're talking about white folks who live in predominantly white areas, like in a fucking cornfield somewhere in Iowa. Never mind that black people have been pouring their sweat and blood into American soil long before most white people's ancestors showed up here. 20 blacks arrived in Virginia in 1519, the year before the Mayflower landed. And most slaves were brought over from Africa before 1808, even before the end of slavery in 1865. 
That means most African-Americans' ancestors arrived decades, if not centuries, before the waves of Irish, German, Italian, Jewish, and Polish immigration.